Welcome back to another episode of Diagnosing a Killer. I'm Kenna. And I'm Koel. We're still not 100%, but we have the content. We have the content. That's all that matters. don't really have anything. I know we usually we start out with like maybe shout outs or emails yeah. or anything like that. Um, you guys have just been awesome supporting us merch wise oh, and yeah. getting all your goodies. We've been trying to share social media posts that mm-hmm. are given permission to share. Yeah. And uh, yeah, keep sending us those pictures of you guys with your merchy merch. Yes. And anything you have? Because I kind of just want to get into this. No, I don't think I really have anything. I just, yeah, uh, just check out all that upcycled and repurposed merch. That really helps us out, it helps the environment out, and it helps you guys out. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Do you want to give everyone our handles for Instagram or anything else if it's their first time listening? Absolutely. You can check us out on any social media platform at Diagnosing a Killer, other than X, formerly known as Twitter. That handle is at Killer Diagnosis. We have an email. We have a cash app, a Patreon, a Venmo. Uh, If you just want to give us a one-time monetary donation, you can check us out there. On our Patreon, tier two and three members also get a bonus episode every month at the end of the month. Yeah. So uh, lots of options out there. Definitely. I am really excited to get into this. I actually wrote this one a number of weeks ago, so I'm really, really excited to talk about <laughs> it because I've been stirring. When you were like dying in bed. Yes. Um, so I'm sure you have already heard, but my voice is not 100% and I'm doing this episode today. So y'all are just going to bear with me. I know. Give my voice a rest. Yes, exactly. Okay. Are you ready? I'm excited. I don't think you know this case. I'm gonna... Oh my god, okay. If you do, I will, like, be surprised. Really? Yes. Okay. So, today, we are going to be talking about one Joseph Edward Duncan. Joseph Duncan. Joe Duncan. Joe Duncan. Joe Joe Dunk. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I know that guy. Joey Dunk. Joey Dunk. (laughs) We go way back. Content warning. This episode contains depictions of child abuse, sexual assault of minors, abduction and torture of minors, drug addiction, abuse, and neglect. If this episode is not for you, we encourage you to find another one of our episodes. Remember, your mental health is very important to us, and we love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. So yes, Joseph Duncan. Here we go. Joseph Edward Duncan III was born on Fort Bragg Military Base in Fort Liberty, North Carolina, on February 25th, 1963. He would be the fourth of five children born to Joseph Edward Duncan Jr. and Lillian Mae Duncan, with three older sisters and one younger brother. Okay. Like Lillian. Lilith. Lilith. Joseph's father was in the U.S. Army, causing the family to move from city to city frequently, within the U.S., but also abroad at some point. The family would change locations about once every two years, until Joseph Jr., the father, would retire the family to Tacoma, Washington, when Joseph III was around 12 years old. Okay. So a lot of really early childhood, not really not available. Lot. Yeah, just moving around. Exactly. His mother was actually known as being very domineering while the children were growing up. Taylor's all this time. Yeah, right? (laughs) Domineering mother? You don't say. Yeah. Joseph would claim to have been abused as a child during this time, but his younger brother would later dispute that this happened at all. His brother was like, you weren't abused? Well, he was, I think he was saying like, we weren't abused. Like, as children. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, never know. Never know. Seemingly from the beginning of his early teen years, Joseph started engaging in sex crimes, something that he would continue well into his adulthood. 
At 12? Just early or teens. Early teens, yeah. okay. Joseph's first recorded sex crime would come in 1978 when he was just 15 years old. In this attack, Joseph would subdue and rape a nine-year-old boy at gunpoint. What? At gunpoint? Yes. Why that escalated quickly. Quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, no, I did not. I'm sorry, everyone. Oh God. <laughs> oh, fuck. Damn. I'm so sorry. That we could. We had to stop. We could not <sighs> stop laughing. I'm crying. <sighs> We're just hurting my voice more. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay. Anyways. So yes, horrible, horrible crime. Not funny. Not funny at all. So the following year, Joseph would be arrested after stealing a car and sent to the Jesse Dyslin Boys Ranch in Tacoma as a result. According to a report by the Associated Press, while in the care of the ranch, Joseph told a therapist assigned to his case that he had bound and sexually assaulted at least six young boys. During this time... Um, just in, like, his lifetime. Oh, I he had, see. He had opened up to a therapist. I see. He also stated that he estimated that he had raped 13 younger boys by the time he was 16 years old. What? Yeah, just, like, horrible, immediate sex crimes, like... That's just... Yeah, that's... That... I wouldn't say indis- is indiscriminate, but that's a lot. That is... I don't... I don't even know what to say. No, it's just, like... He, and here's the thing, like, I don't believe that people just sexually assault people out of nowhere like yeah. that makes me think he might have been sexually abused That's as true. a kid you yeah. know and then or just very disturbed especially after the first time he probably found some well clearly found power gratification yeah. out of it and he knew he could easily control people and get away with it yeah around this same time joseph's parents would separate but would ultimately file for divorce years later in 1983 Following the divorce, Joseph's older sisters would all leave the home around the same time, leaving Joseph alone with his mother while his younger brother went to live with the father. So it's just Joseph and his mom now. Yeah. The domineering mother. Yes. Joseph would attend Lakes High School, but would ultimately drop out, not graduating. In 1980, Joseph would steal a number of guns from a neighbor and subsequently abduct a 14-year-old boy at gunpoint. He's around, like, 17, 18 at this point. He's just a kid. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's just... And, of course, he probably is one of those people that, because of his age, people don't consider him a threat. For sure. And also, like, he abducted a 14-year-old. This He's only, like, three or four years older than this kid, you right. know? So it's, like, not uncommon for kids around that age to be hanging out or with that, right. that age gap, you know? So yeah. it might have just looked innocent if anyone saw, you right. know? Well, not the gun, obviously, but them <laughs> yeah, hanging out together. Exactly. Oh, they're just playing around with those guns, those kids. (laughs) Joseph would sexually assault the boy and be arrested shortly after this. Joseph would be sentenced to 20 years in prison for this crime, but would ultimately be released on parole after serving just 14 years in 1994. But he was still, he was 17 and he still served 14 years. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that's crazy because it seems like they didn't know about his record. Well, maybe it was on record with his therapist, but that's all. I could just be, you know hearsay you know they don't want proof exactly while out on parole joseph was known to have lived several different places in the seattle area he would be arrested yet again in 1996 this time for marijuana use and was released on parole several weeks later with new restrictions for his parole because he broke parole yeah on july 6th 1996 11 year old sammy joe white and her nine-year-old sister carmen cubius would disappear after leaving the crest motel on aurora avenue north in seattle shortly before 11 p.m so it's sammy joe and carmen mm-hmm. the two had left to get cigarettes from a restaurant for their older brother 
I guess they had the hookup because of the age restriction to going like 18 to get cigarettes actually yeah. went into place at like ni- in 1989. Mm-hmm. So I guess they just knew maybe the store owner or something. Yeah. When the girls went missing, police were unsure whether they were victims of foul play or had they had simply run away. No evidence in this case came up and the girls' case went undeveloped for two years. On April 4th, 1997, 10-year-old Anthony Martinez was playing with his brother and some friends in a neighbor's yard in Beaumont when he was abducted. Anthony's brother was initially the target of the abduction, but the brother was able to free himself from the perpetrator with the help of Anthony, who was taken instead at knife oh, point. Oh, no. God, talk about awful. survivor's guilt. Straight up. Anthony would be forced into a car and driven away, never to be seen alive again. Two weeks later, a park ranger would find Anthony's body among rocks in Burdue Canyon on the outskirts of Joshua Tree National Park. The boy had been bound with duct tape and clearly sexually assaulted. Although a composite sketch of the subject was made available and a partial fingerprint had been taken from the duct tape, nothing came of it. Unfortunately, this case would also go cold following the discovery of Anthony's body. Even with the partial, they didn't yes. have, like, no, they, they didn't, didn't have, have any results, records? I don't think, yeah. Okay. Joseph would be arrested once again in Missouri and returned to prison in 1997 after violating the terms of his new parole. Like, this is now the third time he's been in jail, twice for parole violation. Yeah. You think he's gonna, like, be cool if you just let him out again? No, he, seriously, he can't, there's no part of his brain that tells him to, like, regulate himself. Yeah, and after serving 14 years, you'd think he would have been reformed if he was gonna be, you know? Right. On February 10th, 1998, the remains of Sammy, Joe, and Carmen would be found by a transient person mm-hmm. living in an abandoned barn in the North Creek area of Bothell. That's awful. The King County Medical Examiner's Office stated that the girls were most likely killed very soon after they disappeared. Joseph would be released from his next stint in prison on July 14th of the year 2000 for good behavior, and he no. would subsequently oh. move to Fargo, North Dakota. Ugh. Yeah, he's just such a great guy. On July 3rd, 2004, so four years later... Two young boys would be molested at a playground in Detroit Lakes, Minnesota, and Joseph would be arrested and charged with these crimes in March of 2005. Seriously castrate this guy? No, actually. On April 5th, 2005, Joseph would appear before a Becker County judge who set bail at $15,000. A Fargo businessman whom Joseph had developed a relationship with would help him post bail. Following being released, Joseph would stop at Walmart to buy night vision goggles and a video camcorder. Ew. I know. Then he would rent a 2005 Jeep Grand Cherokee on April 15th. On April 27th, Joseph stole a set of license plates from another vehicle, and a week later, on May 4th, the Jeep was reported as as a stolen vehicle. Joseph would skip out on his bail hearing and disappear. Of course. Stealing that guy's money, by the way. Why doesn't this guy have a fucking ankle monitor all the time? No, he really should. And a shock collar. (laughs) Shock collar if he goes away from the zone. (laughs) (laughs) On June 1st, 2005, a federal federal warrant was issued for Joseph's arrest on the charge of, quote, unlawful flight to avoid prosecution, end quote. So he left. Joseph was known to have talked about the fact that he was in and out of prison, but would keep committing crimes, stating, quote, I got out and I got even, but I did not get caught. So I got even again. And again, I did not get caught. I got even twice, actually more, end quote. So he's literally admitting it, like, I kept getting out, and I I kept committing crimes and getting away with it. I just keep doing it because... I can. Because there's... Yeah, because I can, and there's no sense of permanency here. Yeah. There's no no real punishment, you know? 
On May 16, 2005, authorities would discover the bodies of 40-year-old Brenda Groney, 37-year-old Mark McKenzie, and 13-year-old Slade Groney in their home along Lake Coeur d'Alene in Idaho. Her name was Slade? Who's a guy. Yes. His name was Slade? Yeah, it's a cool name, right? That's a cool name, but yeah. look what happened to him. He's slain. Okay. Sorry, just, I had to pause because I yeah, was shooketh. It's, <laughs> it's just an unfortunate name for this no, it's scenario. I know. So it, this is, uh, just to make it a little bit more clear, this is mom and her son and mm-hmm. then her mom's boyfriend. Okay. That whole they found. Upon finding these bodies in the home, authorities also shortly realized that the two younger children of the family, nine-year-old Dylan and eight-year-old Shasta, were missing. Amber alerts were immediately issued for the two kids, and searchers would begin combing the area for the missing children. So he killed these kids, their family, the rest of the family. Yes. And kidnapped them, but didn't take the 13-year-old, I guess, because he was too old for him. Maybe. That's gross. Due to the kids being missing and the look of the scene, law enforcement would begin investigating the deaths as homicides. Autopsies determined that the cause of death for all three victims was blunt trauma to the head, and all three people had been found bound. Seven weeks after the abductions of Shasta and Dylan, a break in the case, Shasta had been found. (gasps) Shasta has done multiple interviews about the abduction of her and her brother and the murder of her other family members. The following is from what she has stated about what happened during this time. The day of the kidnapping, Shasta stated that her mother Brenda came into her and Dylan's room and woke them up. Brenda stated to the children, quote, someone's in the house, end quote, and the three of them went into the living room together to meet Shasta's older brother Slade and her mother's fiancé Mark. I said boyfriend earlier, but mm. they were engaged. Shasta saw a man who we now know to be Joseph Duncan, wearing black gloves and holding a gun. Joseph would tie Brenda up with zip ties and did the same thing to Mark and Slade. Joseph would then take Dylan outside and put him under a tree before returning to grab Shasta, putting her beside her brother. Hmm. Once the two were outside, Shasta stated that she heard multiple thumping noises coming from inside the house, and then not long afterwards, Slade would come stumbling out of the house. As soon as she saw her older brother, Shasta and Dylan were both taken by Joseph and put into the back of the Jeep Cherokee he had previously stolen. So Slade was still alive, essentially, when they left? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the three people left in the home would not survive, but Slade was noted as having the strength to get himself back into the home and was found right beside his mom. Both of the young children were taken to a secluded location with Joseph, where he would repeatedly rape and torture the two for six weeks. Although the children were still missing, on May 18th, a person of interest surfaced in the case. A 33-year-old man by the name of Robert Roy Concrete Bob Lunther, or Lunder, His nickname was Concrete Concrete Bob. Concrete Bob, what a name. He was a worker in the concrete and construction industry. Duh. He was a typist. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He was known to have a lengthy criminal record and visited the family on the day of the murders. It was also noted that Robert owed Brenda and Mark nearly $2,000, giving him a motive to get rid of them. Interesting. Upon hearing that he was a person of interest, Robert would go to the police and deny having anything to do with the murders and abductions. He agreed to a polygraph and would pass. As the search continued, the FBI and other local agencies would join in, and a reward of $10,000 would be offered for any information leading to the safe recoveries of Shasta and Dylan. The case would quickly become the largest criminal investigation in the history of Kootenai County. Meanwhile, Joseph drove the children to a campsite, where he told them that their mother, future stepfather, and older brother were dead, 
And they were never going to see them again. That's fucked up. Because, like, not only have you just, like, ripped these children's lives apart, but, like, you it's like you're rubbing it in their face. Mm-hmm. Or, to, like, I get guess, a reaction. Yeah, or maybe to give them a sense of hopelessness so that they just obey, you yeah, know? that's true. There's nothing to go back for. Go back to his roots. I mean, you know, the younger kids, you know, that he can control. Yeah. Joseph would unfortunately waste no time in abusing the children, seemingly taking out his anger. Shasta would later state about this, quote, He got really mad, started throwing things. He took more of his anger out on Dylan and was really mean to him. He would abuse him and then make me watch. And then if I cried, he would abuse him worse, end quote. That's so fucked up. Oh my god. I know. Joseph was not only physically assaulting the children, but he would begin playing horrible mind games with them as well. He would tell them that they would be able to go home if they just complied with his orders. At one point, Joseph would even have the children write letters to their biological father, suggesting that they might return home. What? For what? Shasta's note was written, quote, Dear Dad, I miss you very much, and me and Dylan know what happened to Mom, Mark, and Slade, and we both feel very sorry for them. And we both miss you and Jesse and Vance, and we might see you guys again. End quote. Of but course... Like, sorry, did he set, not send those? Yeah, I was just going to say, he would never send these letters, but tell the kids he did, giving them hope instead of releasing them. Or of oh giving them hope of being released. Yeah. Excuse me. Shasta would state, quote, He just wanted us to believe that there was a chance that we would, that we would live or that we'd get out safe. I think after a certain amount of time, Dylan had started to lose hope that it was going to turn out good for him, end quote. Dylan was very clearly becoming aware of the dark reality of the situation. Although Dylan was her older brother, Shasta knew that she needed to take on the older sibling role and help Dylan through. She would later state about this, quote, I said, I promise that we're going to make it out alive. That was my way of comforting my brother, just letting him know that we would never stop fighting, end quote. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the torture was far from over for the children. Joseph would begin forcing drugs and alcohol on them, and when he believed that they were under the influence, he would tell them horrifying stories about what he had done to other children in the past. What the fuck? Shasta stated about this, quote, He very vividly and in detail described the murders of two sisters from Seattle, Sammy Joe and Carmen. Oh my god. He would tell us the way he had done it, where he had placed their bodies. When he started telling us about the murders, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to pretend like I'm drinking this, end quote. So she even had the wherewithal to, like, pretend that she was drinking the alcohol, but to make sure she was cognitive. Yeah. Hearing about what this man was capable of, Shasta begins coming up with a plan to save her and her brother's life. She would begin talking to him in a friendly voice, asking him questions about himself, and generally just trying to gain his trust. She's like, so what do you do for fun? Exactly. It's, like, so impressive that at eight years old, she has the wherewithal to be like, okay, I need to gain his trust. Yeah. She, I need to be casual. She read him. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Shasta stated about this, quote, I would ask questions about his life, ask him about his family, and could I meet them one day? It was a conscious thing, like, I need to make him think that I love him or that I want to be here with him, end quote. At first, it seems to be working, and according to Shasta, Joseph was even beginning to act nicer to the both of them. However, a month after the abductions, Joseph would begin to be malicious towards the children once again. Joseph had taken notice of a squirrel that kept returning to their campsite, and he told the children that if they could capture the squirrel, he would let them go home. After many tries, Dylan was finally able to catch the squirrel. Hmm. So this this whole time they've been staying on those campgrounds? Like, yes. And how long has it been? It's been a month. Oh my gosh. And they've and been nobody's... essentially tent camping for a month. Like... 
in the middle of nowhere? Like yes, it's a very remote area. Okay. Like it's not like a campsite. You I know? was gonna say yeah, like a park or something. Yeah, like, I'm saying campsite, but yeah, yeah, it's definitely like on the outskirts. I not see. a lot of foot traffic or okay. anything. Having new hope that they were going to be packing up to go home soon, it quickly became apparent that this was not the plan Joseph had in mind. Shasta states about what happened following this, quote, I had just given him, as in Dylan, a hug, and so I was holding his hand, and I heard a loud bang, and then I felt my brother's hand slip from mine. I couldn't even say anything, like, I couldn't scream, I couldn't, I couldn't, I just didn't even know what to do, end quote. Joseph would then shoot Dylan once again. Shasta states about Joseph following this, quote, He came up to me, and he was crying, and he said it was an accident, and he didn't mean to. I didn't know what the first shot was, but I knew that the second one was on purpose. What? He said that he did it so that Dylan wouldn't have to feel pain, end quote. What does that mean? So, essentially what Joseph was trying to say was, like, I didn't mean to shoot him the first time, but then after I shot him, like, I needed to put him out of his misery. Yeah. But it's what? like, why were you pointing the gun towards him? Why did you pull the trigger, you yeah, know? Yeah, were they, like, it hunting just... or something? What? Were they, like, hunting or something? No, he's just a murderer. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, I mean, there's no world in which he wasn't going to kill these kids. You know yeah. what I mean? So, like, I don't fucking buy it. He's just yeah. a dumbass. I think he was just trying to appeal to Shasta's emotions, maybe, and say, like, it was an accident. Oh, my gosh, poor oh, me. No. I had to put him out of his misery. Yeah. <sighs> don't be mad at me. Yeah. Ugh. Joseph would then force Shasta to help him move Dylan's body onto a tarp where he ultimately burned it in front of her. Jesus Christ. Shasta stated about this, quote, I was just confused, and I remember, like, I think about for a week, I just didn't talk. I couldn't say anything. I was just frozen, end quote. At this point, it's been six weeks since the, since the abduction, and Joseph decides to move Shasta to another campsite. Hmm. Again, like I said, they were in a remote area at first, but this spot was near other people who would frequently walk by their camp. What? She How would bold. be chained up inside the tent, though, so she what? wouldn't be able to go get out, talk to people. She would be desperate to call for help from the passerbys, but Joseph would continually threaten her, and she said that she never said anything out loud because she mm. was just so scared. After multiple nights at this new campsite, even though Shasta had been following all of his orders, Joseph decides that he needs to kill her now, too. Shasta stated about this, quote, he was just like, you have the choice to be strangled or you have the choice to be shot like your brother and that one's going to be quicker. I felt like if I had chosen the strangulation that I might have a chance to talk him out of what he was doing, end quote. What? That's so intense Keep in mind, yes, this is an eight-year-old little girl oh my God. that is just extremely smart and brave, like, during this whole thing. Mm -hmm. Joseph proceeded to put a rope around Shasta's neck and began pulling. Shasta admitted that during this time, she felt so defeated due to losing her entire family that she almost gave up. She stated about this, quote, I kind of remember seeing my mom's face. I heard her voice, and then, like, I started to see white, and then everything kind of came back, end quote. Hmm. At that moment, Shasta decided that she was going to live, and she needed to come up with an idea quick to save her life. She states, quote, I had worked up enough breath to say, please don't, Jet, end quote. Jet was actually a nickname of Joseph's that he had told the kids about. Oh, wow. Shasta stated about this, quote, I noticed that when I would use that name with him, it would, like, soften him a little bit. Like, it would soften him. And he's like, what did you say? He just, he started crying, and he's like, I can't do this, end quote. Wow. Shasta was able to convince Joseph to let her go and allow her to live just a little bit longer, to which he complied. Shasta knew that if she had to continue to build a relationship with Joseph in order to stay alive... 
She would state about this, quote, Anytime me going home was brought up, I would tell him, no, I don't want to go. I want to stay here with you. He'd be like, really? You could tell that it was starting to catch him off guard a little bit. End it's quote. like reverse Stockholm. It really is. It's incredible. On July 2nd, 2005, seven weeks after the kidnapping, Joseph would bring up a thought to Shasta. She would say about this, quote, He basically sat me down and asked if I would be his kid and I would stay with him. You know that I would call him dad. He's like, I want to take you to meet my mom. Would you meet her? And I had said yes, end quote. Like, he's losing his, not that it's a bad, it's a bad thing, but he's losing his, like, priority in his mind. And now yeah. he's like, I want to introduce you to my family. Like, this like, could be a real thing. could be blah, forever. Blah, blah. Yeah. Oh, Creepy. my gosh. As the two left the campsite and were heading towards Joseph's mother's home, Shasta knew that she may have an opportunity to be seen around her town. She would ask Joseph to take her to specific places with the hopes that she would be recognized. Hmm. She states, quote, I said, can you take me to where I grew up? Like, I want to show you where I went to school, and I want to show you where my best friend lives. Like, I want to show you all these places that are important to me because you're important to me. And he was like, yeah, of course, I'd love to, end quote. Oh, my She's God. So, She's so, like, smart. she needs to be a psych, like, a psychiatrist yeah. or a psychologist. Nearly two months after being kidnapped, Shasta has Joseph drive her right back to the town that she was abducted from. Smart girl. The two would stop at a gas station and be caught on film. Later reports from witnesses were stating that she was calling him dad, but she was clearly keeping her distance from him and looked uncomfortable and mm. dirty. Police would get a tip that Shasta was potentially spotted at the store, but it was not until after the manager reviewed security footage that the two had already left the store. Mm. Shasta states about this, quote, I remember just holding on to hope, but still feeling like there wasn't going to be any, end quote. As their drive continued, Joseph asked Shasta if she's hungry, to which she immediately says yes, knowing that if they stop somewhere else, she has a better chance of being recognized. Mm -hmm. Rifle Paper Company is known for their high-quality, handmade designs that are sure to brighten and lighten up every room in your home. Rifle Paper has been creating one-of-a-kind designs since 2009. From stationery to decor, find your favorite design and shop from there. My favorite design is Bramble. I can get this design in duvets, tumblers, an ottoman, and even wallpaper. Nathan and Anna Bond are a husband and wife team, and they are the brilliant minds behind Rifle Paper Company, which is fueled by local Florida printers. Click the link in the show notes to receive an exclusive offer today. Rifle Paper Company, quality products that bring beauty into the everyday. The two would go to the Denny's restaurant in Coeur d'Alene. Shasta stating about this, quote, as I was walking in, I noticed that my missing persons poster was right there. Oh, shit. There was this guy standing outside, and he was with his friends, and he nodded his head, and I nodded my head, and he went up to the counter and made it kind of seem like he was conversating with one of the waitresses. And then I seen her look over at me, end quote. Wow, that's... Oh, my God. Oh, Imagine heaps. the heaves. The amount of heaves, right? Like, you're looking at a missing poster for a child, and, and you look at the down, child. and there's that child? Yeah. Oh, my God. With a complete stranger? Mm-hmm. <gasps> The waitress, Amber Dean, was noted as stating about this, quote, They were my only table at the time, and I immediately recognized her. His entire world revolved around her. She didn't speak without his permission, or something's just not okay, end quote. Amber thought she had a pretty good idea of the situation before her, but she did not want to alert Joseph that anything was amiss. Yeah. Amber stated, quote, I had spoken to my manager, and you know, I think we should probably call Coeur d'Alene PD. I'm pretty pro- positive that Shasta Groney over there. 
I'll pay for their meal if I'm wrong. We need to get somebody up here, end quote. Oh, shit. Oh, God. Right? Oh, my God, yeah. And then you're like, it's not. Yeah, right. It's like, oh, shit. I'm so sorry. Sorry, my child's just dirty. I feel like the parents would still understand because they're like, oh, like, better safe than sorry. Exactly. I know my child will be protected. Exactly. Around something. Amber. Yeah. Other patrons at the restaurant had also noticed Shasta, and they were able to secretly form a common effort to make sure that they held Joseph off from leaving until police arrived. Like, if he had gotten up to leave, they were like, no, seriously. I'm thinking of, like, a guy walking by with, like, his coffee cup, and he's like, oh, oh, sorry. Whoopsie. Don't, can't see where I'm going. My bad. No, yeah, right? Oh, sorry. I spilled that on I you. I spilled that on you. Let's change. Yeah. <laughs> police finally get the call they had been waiting for for nearly two months. So that was a call that I got on an episode of TikTok, actually, from the Fugitive Crime. Oh, okay. But yeah, so I just wanted to pepper that in there. But that was the call that was the waitress. Mm -hmm. At this point, Shasta can tell that people in the restaurant recognize her, but she was so concerned that Joseph was also going to notice. She states, quote, I remember thinking that he's so smart. And then I was like, even if they know that I'm with him, maybe he'll have an excuse and they'll just leave and they won't think that anything was wrong, end quote. Oh, yeah, my God. scary. So scary. Like, this is your this is your chance. Right. And you think it's about to happen. But then he's so unpredictable. Exactly. What if he takes her hostage? Exactly. Oh, my gosh. It seems at this point that everyone is waiting for police to get there, but Joseph is ready to leave. In an effort to stall, Amber pretends to have trouble printing their check, while other patrons in the restaurant position themselves strategically so they can stop him if he tries to leave. They're, like, oh scooting their chair back slowly, <laughs> just getting sticking closer their, to the door. Sticking their foot out to trip him. Yeah, <laughs> putting a banana peel on the yeah. floor. <laughs> yeah, put some wire string down by the, by the doorway. <sighs> After what seems like forever, the police arrive and immediately approach the table. They ask Shasta for her name, to which she tells them, and police immediately arrest Joseph. Hell yeah. Shasta stated about this, quote, The whole entire restaurant started clapping, like they all knew who I was, and they all knew that I was a missing person, and like, it was kind of like they all played a factor into my rescue, end quote. I'm gonna cry. I know, I've had the heaps this whole time. That is amazing. Can you imagine, like, oh my gosh, ugh, I'm gonna cry. Before they even leave the restaurant, Shasta tells police that the man with her is the same man who killed her family at home. Oh shit. When Shasta was found without Dylan, police immediately knew something was wrong. She also wasn't, like, immediately going to tell them, my brother is dead. You know, she's like, my family's been killed, it's him. I guess she didn't specify that Dylan had also been killed. Right. Police would interrogate Joseph for hours with no information coming from him. Police felt that they had no choice but to turn to Shasta for answers. In an extremely brave effort, Shasta explained to police what happened to her brother. Not only did she tell police about what happened to her family members, Shasta would even relay to police the additional crimes that Joseph had told her about. She stated, quote, I remembered everything. When I was found, I told the investigators what he had told me, end quote. About Sammy about the girls. and mm-hmm. Carmen? Two days after this, on July 4th, 2005, investigators discovered human remains at a remote makeshift campsite. The remains were sent to the FBI lab for DNA testing and were positively ID'd as being those of Dylan. Joseph Duncan's arrest led the FBI to launch a nationwide review of unsolved missing child cases. He was implicated as a possible suspect in several crimes that occurred between 1994 and 1997 when he was on parole, and between 2000 and 2005 when he was free from prison. 
Although he was cleared as a suspect in some cases, authorities in California and Washington had enough evidence to suspect Joseph had committed unsolved murders in their areas as well. Oh my gosh. Shasta, being the badass of a child that she was, also told police about the crimes that Joseph had confessed to while she was being held against her will. She told authorities about Joseph's confession of the murder of Anthony Martinez in 1996 and the murders of 11-year-old Sammy Joe and 9-year-old Carmen, who were both reported missing in 1996. Following his arrest, Joseph Duncan would be tried in three separate courts. He would first appear in a Kootenai County courtroom on July 13, 2005, where he was facing charges of three counts of first-degree murder and three counts of first-degree kidnapping. This was in relation to the deaths of Brenda and Slade Groney and Mark McKenzie. Hmm. County prosecutors originally wanted to charge Joseph with the kidnappings of Shasta and Dylan. However, they deferred those two cases as federal charges and had him tried separately for those. Oh, okay. The reason behind this was that transporting children across state lines for the purpose of sexual exploitation is federal offense. Is federal, yeah. The trial for the first charges was set to begin on January 17, 2006, but would be delayed until April 4th after the district judge granted a request to the defense for more time to prepare. No, fuck you. (laughs) You Yeah, right? Like, why do you need more time? He's clearly guilty. The trial was delayed once again, this time with a new date of October 26th, after the judge was noted as stating, quote, no one wants to try this case twice, including me. Hell yeah. No, nobody wants to be here twice. No. Joseph's attorneys were noted as blaming the multiple postponements on the prosecution's insistence on pursuing the death penalty. Yeah, probably. (laughs) They probably want him dead. Yeah. On October 16th, 2006, shortly after jury selection began, Kunitai County prosecutors and Joseph's attorney had come up with a plea bargain in which Joseph would plead guilty to all state charges against him. Following this, Joseph would immediately be sentenced to three consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole for the three kidnapping charges of the murder victims. Too light. Yeah. Still too light. The three first-degree murder charges sentenced were stayed pending the outcome of his federal trial on the kidnapping of Shasta and Dylan and the murder of Dylan. Mm-hmm. In a scenario that Joseph did not receive the death penalty on the federal charges, he would be required to return to Kootenai County for a death penalty phase on the state murder charges. Oh, shit. So basically, the judge wanted to make damn sure that he would get the death penalty. Yeah. <laughs> on January 18th, 2007, Joseph was indicted by a federal grand jury in Coeur d'Alene on 10 counts of, quote, kidnapping, kidnapping resulting in death, aggravated sexual abuse of a minor, and sexual exploitation of a child resulting in death. Oh, so awful. I mean, he's already proven that he can't exist in society. No, clearly. He can't be around children. No, not at all. He's going to get some shit when he goes to jail. Mm-hmm. Other crimes relating to illegal firearm possession and vehicle theft were also placed against him. Joseph would be arraigned the following day at a federal court in Boise, where a judge ordered him to stand trial the following March. Joseph's defense attorneys immediately requested a postponement, which was granted the week the trial was originally scheduled to begin, and a new trial date was set for January 22nd of 2008. On this same day, so January 19th, 2007, Mm -hmm. Riverside County officials announced that Joseph Duncan was being charged with the murder of Anthony Martinez. Despite attempts by Riverside County officials to extradite Joseph to California, including an appeal by Arnold Schwarzenegger, (laughs) Joseph's federal trial would proceed. (laughs) Trial would proceed. Excuse me. Uh, Gubernatorial. (laughs) I want to be your gubernatorial candidate. <laughs> you do it so much better than yeah. me. Get to the chopper. Oh my god, it's terrible. Have you seen that new State Farm commercial that he's doing? Oh my gosh. It's like, like a good neighbor. 
gegrillt. <lacht> Nebel. State Farm is here. <lacht> is it? Neighbor? Yeah. And they're like, it's neighbor. And he's like, neighbor. 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 And then they get Danny DeVito in there. In the commercial, Danny DeVito oh, is in it. He's I didn't even see him. Yeah. He's like, like a good neighbor. And I did not even see that, him. No? Nope. There might be an extended one there for Super is. Bowl. Uh, yeah. But oh, it's supposed to be like twins, sense. like the movie Twins that they were in Oh, uh, yes. I remember that. That's funny. Yes. On December 3rd, 2007, Joseph Duncan pleaded guilty to all 10 charges against him. As a condition of the plea deal, Shasta Groney would not have to testify in the penalty phase of the trial. And due to a gag order, other details of the plea agreement were not released to the public. Mm. Jury selection for the penalty phase for Joseph's trial began on April 14th, 2008. And during this selection, Joseph would dismiss his attorneys and opt to represent himself. Oh, God. Okay, Bundy. They're always so smart. I mean, you might as well do it. You know... Fuck going to law school and taking the bar yeah. and all that other stuff. I'm smarter than you. I'm smarter. Gosh, have you seen that Daniel Brooks guy? Mm-mm. Daniel Brooks. He's the guy that drove his car through the parade of people and, like, after having an argument with his girlfriend. No. When was this? This was, oh, gosh, 2010. I mean, sorry, 2019, maybe? Oh, yeah. It was in France, right? No. Oh, I'm thinking of a different... Yeah, that was thing. 2015. That was the day after... That was... The day before my son was born. True. Yeah, but no, this guy, Daniel Brooks. And so he's like, I'm going to represent myself. Well, his entire case of representing himself was that he could not be identified, quote, unquote. He's like, who's going to do And who is this entity uh, that you're speaking about, Daniel Brooks? Who is this entity? And the judge had so much patience, but she was annoyed every day. Of they course. Went to trial. I would be just, too. That's not how it works, Mr. Brooks. Yeah. Fucking <laughs> dumbass. That wasn't me. That was Patricia. (laughs) It's me, Patricia. (laughs) So Joseph's attorneys would, of course, object him representing himself, insisting that he was not competent enough to stand to do that. Yeah. They would request to have a formal hearing regarding this issue. The district court ordered an evaluation of Joseph to determine his competence. And the conclusion of this was that he was competent enough to proceed without counsel. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go for it. Make an ass of yourself. On August 27th, 2008, After just three hours of deliberation, the jury would recommend the death penalty for Joseph Duncan, and the judge would impose three death sentences for kidnapping resulting in death, sexual exploitation of a child resulting in death, and the use of a firearm in a violent crime resulting in death. Mm. That's a quote. All related to the death of Dylan Groney. On November 3rd, 2008, Joseph would be sentenced to an additional three consecutive terms of life without the possibility of parole for the kidnapping of Shasta Groney and the sexual abuse of both children. He has, like, seven life sentences now. Yeah, good. And the death penalty. Good. The attorneys that were supposed to defend Joseph in this trial would immediately file a notice of appeal on his behalf, but Joseph would also write the court, stating that any appeal received was, quote, against his wishes, end quote. So now he's, like, gonna pout. He's he like, no. Death penalty. I don't want anybody to represent Just me. Get it. <laughs> don't appeal for me. <laughs> don't appeal on my behalf. <laughs> <laughs> on March 15th, 2011... Joseph Duncan would plead guilty to the murder of Anthony Martinez and would subsequently be sentenced to two life terms on April 5th, 2011. So we're up to, like, nine. I think it's eight, actually. Okay. As part of a plea deal, the sentence came out without the possibility of parole or the right to appeal. Although Joseph could have faced a separate death penalty sentence for this murder, Riverside County DA Paul Zellerbach justified the life sentence by stating that he had consulted with the Martinez family. The family wanted closure in the case and stated, quote, 
the federal system will kill him long before the state of California would have seriously considered it, end mm-hmm. quote. I mean, yeah, like, we all know what happens to child abusers in prison. Yeah, it's like, just, yeah, have him go deal with that stuff. Exactly. See how he likes it. On December 6th, 2013, a federal judge ruled that he was mentally competent when he gave up his right to appeal his death sentence. Well, not that the judge was competent, but just was. Yeah, he was like... The judge ruled that himself was mentally competent. Yeah. <laughs> Psychiatrists working with the prosecution <laughs> would ultimately diagnose Joseph Duncan with pedophilia, sadistic personality disorder, and antisocial personality disorder with narcissistic traits, but would maintain that he was legally sane. So I want to do a whole mental breakdown on this topic, but essentially, sadistic personality disorder is characterized as a pervasive pattern of sadistic and cruel behavior. Mm. People with this disorder are thought to have desire to control others, okay. which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Which is different than ma- masochistic, right? Yes. Okay. A three-judge panel of the Ninth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals ruled on March 27, 2015, that a district judge correctly determined that Joseph was mentally competent when he waived his right to appeal his death sentence. On February 28, 2016, the U.S. Supreme Court denied Joseph's petition to hear his appeal for a federal judge's ruling in December 2013. It's just all this shit. Like, no wonder the judge didn't want to do this shit yeah. more, you know? Yeah, because I keep having to hear about your ass. Yeah, exactly. Lock him up and throw away the key. Exactly. Prior to his arrest, Joseph maintained a personal website titled The Fifth Nail. According to lore, in addition to the four nails used to pierce the body of Jesus and his crucifixion, there was a fifth nail taken away and hidden by the Romans. Joseph adopted the name of this own website and blog, and he would post about his day-to-day life as a convicted sex offender. However, he would deny being a pedophile and claim to have been sexually abused himself as a child. Mm -hmm. His sister, Sherry Cox, would testify on Joseph's behalf, stating that Joseph and herself alike were subjected to horrible abuse as children. So we said it earlier, right? Yeah. She stated about their mother, quote, When she was beating on you, if you fought back, it was worse. In his case, he just took what she gave and kind of whimpered off into his bedroom. But I I thought his brother said there was no abuse. He did. So I'm just, that's what I'm saying. There's, There's conflicting accounts. Yeah. After he got to prison, Joseph would maintain a blogspot website titled, quote, Joseph E. Duncan III returns to the web from federal death for to expose the meaning of the fifth nail, end quote. Oh my god. Shut the fuck up. You're a loser. such a loser. (laughs) You nerd. You're such a loser, nerd. All of this content was posted by someone using the pseudonym Silenced. That's their name. Oh no. And it's believed that this person was receiving letters from Joseph and posting on his behalf out in the world. Silenced silenced. John Adams, Joseph's public defender and prosecutor, Bill Douglas, declined to comment on the possibility that Joseph was blogging from prison. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, he shouldn't be able know, to do that. Yeah. He's a terrible person. Probably not gonna so. do that. <laughs> access to the internet is, like, not this guy's thing. So. Right. Yeah, because if you have access to the internet, guess what you also have access to? Children. Right. However, John Adams, again, his public defender, was noted as stating about Joseph before representing him, quote, he was a broken man. He was frightened and desperate and confused. It was often hard to follow what he was talking about because he was talking about things that weren't relevant. Mm. That tells me that he's mentally ill. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he's got some disconnect going on. According to the blog, Joseph rarely interacted with other death row prisoners and actively chose not to speak with them or engage in conversation. Yeah, I'll say, because he knows what's going to happen. Exactly. In fact, Joseph claimed that he didn't really socialize with anyone at all, and he would only speak to other prisoners when he was required to. I'm just too good for them. (laughs) 
I'm required not, to speak yeah. to you. Not like so, I'm afraid of what you're going to do to me because yeah. I'm a fucking pedophile. Right. Yeah. I just, yeah, absolutely. I just really crave my solitude. <laughs> That's just one of the many things about me. Yeah. You know what I also enjoy? Being alive. And I feel like you're going to kill me. <laughs> so, <laughs> Despite this, Joseph also claimed to never having problems with any other inmates and stated that he had only received harassment on a few occasions from a handful of COs. Mm -hmm. I don't buy it. In July of 2019, the U.S. federal government announced that they would be resuming executions after a nearly two-decade hiatus. Joseph claimed that he was, quote, relieved to hear this, as in his opinion, being executed via lethal injection would be a much quote, better and cleaner way to die than of natural causes in prison. Yeah, he's concerned about being clean. Yeah. Yeah. You're, like, the dirtiest fucking person in the world. You're disgusting. He stated that dying of natural causes in prison was the one thing he feared the most, and that he was worried that the government would never get around to executing him. I'm just never gonna get around to it. They're just never, they're not even concerned with me. Yeah. They don't they just even, don't yeah. even want to kill me. They don't even care to kill me. Yeah, I'm just too important. <laughs> Out of the five federal prisoners selected for execution, Joseph stated that he was acquainted with four of them, but would not call any of them his friends. He did also claim that everyone on federal death row would be, quote, better off if they were executed. I'm just a lone wolf, baby. Yeah, you'd be better off without um, me. There's two wolves inside of me. God. <laughs> Again, that wasn't me. That was Patricia. That was Patricia. In October of 2020, Joseph underwent brain surgery after he was diagnosed with geoblastoma, a very dangerous brain cancer. Why not let the brain cancer kill him? Let it kill him. Because the state has to, that's why. He would decline any treatment and rejected chemotherapy and radiation therapy. I'm just... I just need to suffer. (laughs) (laughs) Medical staff at the Federal Bureau of Prisons estimated that he had between 6 and 12 months of life to live after being diagnosed. Oh, shit. Joseph Duncan would die on March 28, 2021, at the age of 58. Anthony Martinez's father... Oh, he died of natural causes, by the way. Not natural, but yeah. sick. He didn't I get mean, executed. I mean, that's essentially what he feared, anyways. Yes. Anthony Martinez's father, Ernesto, was noted as stating about Joseph's death, quote, While I would have liked to witness his execution, knowing he is now standing before God being held accountable for what he had done, what he did to my son, and the horrible crimes he committed to others, that's the real justice, end quote. Anthony's younger brother, Marcus, stated, quote, God has brought pure justice for all those Joseph Duncan has hurt. There is less evil in this world. Nothing can bring my brother back, but now Duncan can never hurt anyone ever again. Mm. Because of him, I will spend the rest of my life doing everything I can to fight against any evil left in the world, end quote. <sighs> hmm. Anthony's mother was noted as stating about Joseph's death, quote, the sun is brighter today and my soul is lighter. The world is a more beautiful place without the evil that is Joseph Duncan. God chose to make his end a long-suffering, and I believe that is fitting. The horror of his thoughts consumed him, end quote. I can't imagine, but I can imagine that feeling, being like, I don't have to worry about that anymore. On the off chance that he gets fucking released again. I lost a friend in a... An accident, a car accident. Well, it's, I wouldn't say an accident because this doucher was deliberately driving drunk on the wrong way of the highway. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, when when he had his sentence, finally, I can't imagine the amount of relief that his family must have felt. Yeah. And then one day, hopefully that guy, well, he will die in prison. And when that day fucking comes, what a relief then, too. Because no, he can honestly. never hurt anybody. He can never terrorize anyone. He can never manipulate anyone. You know? Just yeah, a seriously. place on this earth. 
Imagine if they had released him on like compassionate release because of his illness. Oh, that was. So oh my bad. god! Right? Could you imagine? He'd I don't go know if right do back that with to death it. row though. He would do. He would do a thrill oh, kill or some shit. Absolutely. The jurors who opposed the death penalty for Joseph were offered counseling in order to help them cope with the horrific evidence they had to see in the trial. Among the evidence viewed was a 33-minute video depicting a nude Joseph torturing, physically and verbally assaulting, and sexually abusing a nude restrained boy identified as Dylan Groney. Oh, shit. On top of the video, human remains, a wire noose, and other videos of Joseph's continued torture of Dylan were in evidence. During one of the videos, a child can be heard screaming in pain while a nude Joseph shouts, quote, The devil is here, boy, the devil himself. The devil likes to watch children suffer and cry, end quote. Jesus Christ. Fucking good riddance. That is disgusting. <sighs> How can you terrorize children no, literally. like that? It's sickening. In 2016, Shasta Groney, then 19 years old, would start a petition called Slade and Dylan's Law in honor of the two brothers she lost. The petition suggested that convicted sex offenders should not be let out of jail, essentially changing the three-strike rule to one strike. Hell yeah. Why the fuck is there a three-strike rule? You can hurt three people. You can hurt and three then the last children. Time you're, yeah, three children. And the last time, you're, you're going to stay in jail. And you're going to stay in jail. Don't we're do gonna, it more than three we're times. We're going to throw the key away. Don't get caught more than three Don't times. Don't get caught. Ugh. That's horrific. No, it's absolutely gross. By the time the petition... 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 Patricia! <laughs> Patricia. <laughs> oh, petition yes. had closed. It had nearly 52,000 supporters. The petition reads, quote, My name is Shasta Groney. I am 19 years old, and I am seeking out a way for not only my voice to be heard, but other victims. When I was eight, my mother, stepfather, and 13-year-old brother Slade were murdered, and my brother Dylan and I were kidnapped from, the, from our homes by a level three sex offender named Joseph Edward Duncan III. He was charged many times before my situation and was let out again and again. I would like for this petition to change that. One strike for a violent sex offender should be enough. Never let them back on the streets to reoffend. I understand that there are some cases where people have to register as a sex offender, but it wasn't exactly fair. Those people aren't included. This is for the offenders who take their people's decision to choose. This isn't a disease. It's a sick, twisted person who cannot be helped or fixed. The system failed me and my family, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to put an end to the psychos running the streets, end quote. Hell yeah. Like, what a fucking boss bitch. Following Joseph's arrest, Shasta was known as having an extremely hard time readjusting to not only a free life, but a life without most of her family. Mm -hmm. She would state about this, quote, I was happy to be in a safe place, but there was still a part of me that's like, well, what if this happens again, end quote. God, could you imagine no, living I that way? No, I cannot. Not only was Shasta suffering from severe PTSD and attending therapy often following her attack, but she was constantly being recognized as well. She stated, quote, I just wanted to be a normal teenage girl. There was still court stuff going on with Joseph Duncan. There was still counseling that I had to do, and I didn't feel good about myself or the person that I was. So I think that all that kind of pushed me over the edge, end quote. Shasta would quickly turn to drugs and alcohol to try to escape her reality, and she would spend her early teenage years in a juvenile correctional facility. She would meet other girls here that shared a similar experience with the drug abuse. She would state around this time, quote, The judge was very honest with me, and she's like, Shasta, I feel like you do have a lot of help you can give people, and I feel like you're way better than what you're doing, end quote. I mean, but like, I would probably do the same thing. Yeah. If I'm being completely honest. Yeah. Like, I would be so lost. 
That's, you know, I mean, with the Columbine Patreon episode that we did, it was when we went through the survivors yeah. and what everybody went through, it's not all success stories. This is yeah. very traumatic stuff. And yeah, plenty of people turned to drugs and alcohol after that. It's horrible. Shasta would begin to change her life, meeting the man who would be her future husband. Mm. This man just so happens to be related to Sammy Joe and Carmen. Whoa. Shasta would state about this, quote, For a long, long time, like, I always had this feeling that I could not have kids, but he's not going to steal the fact that I can bring children into this world, end mm -hmm. quote. Shasta would go on to have her children, and in April of 2018, Shasta would plead guilty to two misdemeanor courts of injury to a child and was ordered to serve unsupervised probation through October 2019. Uh-oh. Courts stated that Shasta endangered a one-year-old child in her custody by leaving methamphetamine out where the child could have ingested it, oh, no. and that she also left the drug in close proximity to a month-old baby. It's awful. A Canyon County judge declined to sentence her to jail time and instead instituted 18 months of probation. Okay. As far as I know, she has not reoffended or anything. Wow. Steve Groney, Shasta's father, died in 2019 of cancer. After hearing the news of Joseph Duncan's passing in 2021, Shasta stated, quote, I woke up feeling like my soul was finally free, end quote. Mm. Shasta is now 26 and she has five children. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, I got choked up. Knowing mm. that the community played a huge part in her rescue, Shasta continues to engage with people who have shown her support over the years. Mm. She states, quote, I still keep in contact with the guy that I made eye contact with outside of the restaurant. Aww. His name is Nick Chapman. A couple of the other investigators and officers that worked on my case, they brought me to their house and I met their kids. They completely made my life so much easier. They allowed me to be a kid when I felt like I couldn't, end quote. Mm. Shasta was also noted about saying about Joseph before he died, quote, I don't hate him for the things that he's done. I forgive him, actually. If I don't forgive him, then he's going to control my life. I want him to know that I'm doing good things with my life, too, so that he knows he doesn't have control over my life and that he doesn't affect me anymore, end quote. Hell Yeah. What a bad bitch. I mean, honestly. Could you imagine having to, like, grow up in that moment? Like, she had to become an adult right in then. two months. Yeah. In order to survive this. Shasta has expressed interest in becoming a counselor to help others that go through similar experiences. But as far as I can tell, this has not happened quite yet. Shasta would also state in the same interview as a teen, quote, I know that I lived for a reason, and there's a reason that I'm on this planet still, and I know that I'm here to help other people. If there's anybody in the world right now that's being abused and they hear that I'm giving up, what would that do for them? End quote. Mm -hmm. Which is so true. And lastly, I, that's the whole story, essentially. Mm -hmm. One last quote from Joseph is all I have left. And I'm not really sure where it's from, but I wanted to pepper it in here because it was pretty freaky. Quote, the world will know who I really was and what I really did. I am scared, alone, and confused. And my reaction is to strike out toward the perceived source of my misery, society. My intent is to harm society as much as I can, then die, end quote. Okay, edgelord. No, like, you, you're, you're so not edgy. fucking cool. I just wanted to also pepper these in here as well. That is the end of our episode, but I wanted to give you guys the number for the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. That is 1-800-THE-LOST, T-H-E-L-O-S-T. They're available 24-7. Available as well as the National Human Trafficking Hotline. That is 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And that is 888-373-7888, or you can text the word INFO to 233-733. But that yeah, that's all I got. Really interesting case. 
It's really interesting that, I mean, again, it was later that we kind of heard that Joseph and his sister were possibly abused. Mm -hmm. But like you said, there wasn't a lot of, like, early life. Yeah, there really wasn't because they moved around so much. It would make sense, though, that he was sexually abused as a kid. Um, But yeah, I think that it's kind of interesting. I know that we usually talk about the perpetrator and their disorders, but it's kind of interesting talking about the like psychology of Shasta. Yeah, no, for and sure. How she used those things that, you know, you do essentially, right? In psychology. And being able to recognize that in a person and know how to talk her way through this. Yeah. And no, survive absolutely. That. And I mean if if she's capable of that at that age a lot of kids are capable of that at that age. Right. I don't think that that's too early of an age to talk about, you know, hard things with kids and not necessarily maybe things exactly like this, but psychology is very helpful for any age. I really think it would right. be, maybe if there's like a children's psychology thing that you can look up, I think that would be really cool, yeah. you know? But yeah, she, I mean, that's just an incredible survival story of her. She just thought on her feet and it, I mean, very, very unfortunate yeah. to have to lose your whole family. Right. Um, but it seems like she's doing really well for herself, and we're really thankful that she's still around. Yeah. And Joseph got what he deserved. Thanks for letting us share your story, Shasta. Yes. Thank you for being open about it. Yeah, absolutely. For other survivors. For sure. But yeah, that's all I have. Well, it was a great episode. Thanks. You guys continue to check out our merch items. Go ahead and get your tickets for the True Crime and Paranormal Podcast Festival that is happening in July in Denver Mm -hmm. uh, from the 12th to the 14th. It's Kenna's birthday weekend. It's my birthday weekend. We're going to be there. We're going to have a lot of fun. And we cannot wait to meet the new podcasters that are going and see our old friends. Yeah. Continue to check out those upcycled merch items. They help us and the environment. Those are going to be $15 for shirts, $25 for hoodie. That includes shipping. Absolutely includes shipping. Yes, yes, yes. Free, free shipping. And if you can't make it right now to get the merch, we will bring all of the remaining upcycle merch that we have to Denver as well. Yes. Okay. Okay. Anything else? I'm hungry. Me too. Okay. Talk to you guys later. Love Love you. Bye. You don't need real ink to make an impact. Let the power of temporary tattoos tell your story. Temporary Tattoos specializes in a wide range of temporary body art, including custom tattoos, with the option to add unique effects like metallic, glitter, glow-in-the-dark, and so much more. Temporary tattoos are easy to apply and last up to five days. When you're ready for your new look, simply remove your fake tattoo using their lemon-scented removing wipes. Rinse and repeat. Temporary Tattoos. Experiment with a new look without the commitment. Use the link in the show notes below to enjoy your exclusive offer and bring your new look to life.